Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast, our first episode in the uh, postseason of following the 2020 season that uh, tragically ended on Saturday night with the Seattle Sounders losing 3-0 to zero to the Columbus crew uh, in the 2020 MLS Cup final. Um, I suppose we're obligated to talk about this game a little bit. Uh, most of this episode... Uh, I guess, I mean, depending on how deep of a conversation we get into about the actual game, but most of this episode will actually be focused on the off season and here to talk about the game and the off season with me is uh sound art heart legend and founder himself, Dave Clark. And uh, the one that makes the world tick Susie Rance. How are you two on this, on this Tuesday afternoon? Great the intro. <laughs> Makes the world tick, Susie. Wow. <laughs> You're the legend, though, so. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, too, for being brave enough to put your voices on microphones to talk about um, sort of sort of a crushing defeat. I don't know. I don't I'll, I'll get to both of you about how you feel, but um, I'm just not very happy with how the sound is played on Saturday night. And I was definitely prepared to to deal with the Sounders' loss, but uh, not like that. What did you think, Susie? Yeah, I think that was the most surprising is that it really didn't feel competitive across the board for m- much of the game. And I think uh, we've talked about it so many times, but there's so little you can truly take from 2020. But with the momentum, I think we expected a better game. Um, I'm I'm honestly not that heartbroken it doesn't change anything for me about the season or the team um but it is kind of a bummer just that that's how the end of the year playing perhaps their worst game of the year or up there yeah i think i think that the frustrating thing for me is that it was just kind of such a flat performance and yeah i don't think it's indicative of any anything about the team or it doesn't change my mind about how good I thought the team was in 2020, considering the circumstances, but just nobody really, I I think there's probably five or six players in the starting lineup that had their worst performance of the year. And I don't think there was any that you could say had their best. Like that's pretty easy to say, actually, but no one in the starting lineup was like, way to go MLS cup final and you had your best game of the year. Whereas in the earlier playoff games, we could say that about several players on the squad. Like it was a, it was such a, a letdown um, in performance um, that was kind of surprising because uh, I don't know, you know, I don't really remember the, uh, the loss at Toronto in MLS cup 2017. Um, because that was 75 years ago. Um, but I didn't, I don't really remember a Brian Schmetzer playoff team that was disappointing like that. Um, so that was what was kind of frustrating from the on field perspective of Saturday's loss. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of the conversation about Saturday's loss, uh, centers around the decision to roll out the same starting lineup and, and, and more specifically starting Alex rolled on and 
Jovan Jones, uh, who I think Alex was at the scene of the crime for the two for for two of the three goals that Columbus scored, especially the two first half goals. Uh, but I think that Jovan Jones may have actually played himself off the team with his performance. Uh, I know that at, at times we've been big fans of Jovan Jones on the show, but um, what kind of would you make of his performance on Saturday night, Susie? Yeah, it was incredibly disappointing. I think we all have seen what Jovan Jones is like at his best. And I think we all just keep like grasping for that a little bit. I will say just overall, though, I think, well, first of all, yeah, Jovan Jones' performance was so subpar and so frustrating. Um, and and yet, I just think it was just overall that like the team just didn't wasn't in sync at any point in the game for a significant period of time. Um, and so it's really hard to argue even when the subs came on in the second half that, that there was a huge shift or change. Um, so I think just reflectively, it's hard to take for me one thing out of an individual's performance, but, but I would totally agree that Jovan Jones has not shown this, this year on a consistent basis that he should stay on the team. Yeah. I think like it, that game reminded me of, um, two, two regular season, or I guess they weren't regular season games, but they were uh, the knockout game in the MLS back is tournament. And then the, uh, the away three, one loss against, um, against LAFC. Actually, both of these games were, were uh, multiple goal deficits to LAFC where it just, the Sounders weren't on, weren't at their best. And in a regular season, like 2020, you can get away with it, especially in the MLS's back tournament no matter what uh, our friends to the South say about that tournament. Um, you just kind of, you're like, you can kind of shrug those off, but I think the, like, just, you can just kind of go down the list. Maybe, maybe the, you know, maybe Stefan Fry and Yamar acquitted themselves pretty well. I don't know. I, I thought Yamar had a really poor second half, um, but you just you kind of look at Nicholas Ladero's game, which it, it came out um, in uh, Brian's post game uh, press conference that I guess he was carrying a calf strain, and and yeah, I, I think that explains his lack of mobility. But uh, he just didn't play very well. Uh, I thought Raul Rui Diaz played angry, but not in the good way. <laughs> like um, I thought him and uh, their their. Uh, right back uh, Harrison awful. I like, I don't know if there was like a tackle early in the game or something, but it just seemed like Raul kept like wanting to like get at him for some reason. And it just didn't work very well. Um, but Dave, do you think that like there's a scenario where Columbus plays the exact same way and the Sounders come out better and win or, or are you willing to give Columbus any credit or are you just kind of thinking, Seattle just played poorly and that's it. And for all the talk that Columbus wasn't going to change their tactics, uh, they significantly changed their tactics. They are not a high pace of play team normally. I mean, you can't be a high pace of play team when you have Darlington Nagby on, on the squad. Um, the whole point of Darlington Nagby is to play a slow sluggish game uh, and march up the field like you're an 18th century army soldier. Uh, so they changed significantly. Uh, Caleb did a great job at that. Um, he was like, you know what? 
we're just going to go full chaos. We're going to move the ball as rapidly as possible from defense to attack. Uh, and it worked well. I, uh, for me, I didn't see, uh, you know, through this playoff, I saw opponents that approached the Sounders in, in different ways every single game um, at, at a macro level. Like there was no similarity in how Minnesota, Dallas, and L.A., uh, played against Seattle and Caleb's the only one that figured out uh, a fashion that worked. Um, and that's fine. You know, at the end of this season with uh, short rest every single time, you know, five days in this case was, was longer than most of the season, most of the breaks we saw throughout the season, um, just running and running and running and forcing a, a high workload on Seattle was probably the right tactic. I, I think they deserve credit for that. They deserve to win. They, they were the better side. Um, I don't know. Yes. Seattle could have performed better. I, I think we saw a couple, we, we saw that typical five to 10 minutes after halftime um, where Seattle looked like they might pull a miracle, but outside of that, I don't, I didn't see a Sounders team where I thought they were going to win. And um I don't know um, if they performed at their best through, throughout. Would they have been better? Sure. That would have been pretty awesome for, for TV, too, because, uh, frankly, uh, an up-and-down game if, where both teams are scoring goals makes for really good television. <laughs> you know, all those caveats about soccer being boring. If, uh, if we'd gone into halftime and it was something like 2-2, uh, I think Fox would have been thrilled by that. And I think that was kind of the best case that Seattle would hope for. I don't think that the the defense could have been much better if uh, the Sounders were putting shots on goal. I do think too. Um, I obviously haven't rewatched this game, nor am I sure I ever will. But um, I think that the Sounders, when they've been their most effective in transition against teams that are running around a lot, um, they're able to utilize the long ball so much so so effectively and you have players like Javier Arriaga and Gustav Svensson and even João Paulo um and I was just really quickly looking at the stats and our long ball statistics against Columbus and MLS Cup were just abysmal like attempts and completions and I for whatever reason I haven't really analyzed it too deeply, but Columbus is really effective in stopping that option, um, even as they were running around quite, quite a bit. And I think deserves a lot of credit for that. They were able to stop both our possession game from doing anything really dangerous, but also the ability to break and transition. Yeah, I think uh, a reason for that, Susie, may have been Jonathan Mensa, who uh, Columbus's center back, who maybe had his best game and like the best game in his MLS career. I think he's a very good center back. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's on the best 11 this year and fully deserved. And I think like where none of Seattle's performers had their best performance and a ton of them had their worst performance of the year. I thought three Columbus crew players had their best performance of the year, um, at least from what I've seen. And that's Jonathan Mensa, Aiden Morris, who, uh, I'll bet didn't play very much this year, but he's the one who stepped in for Darwin to Nagby and had, he was the one who set that tempo that Dave was talking about. And then uh, Lucas L.A. Rayon, who obviously won uh, finals MVP for scoring two goals and assisting the other one. Uh, 
Uh, and that's just kind of sometimes what finals come down to. You're, if you have the best players on the field, it doesn't really matter what happened during the season. And um, I think that kind of happened. And, and one kind of last point I want to talk about before we, before we move on is, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, watched on Fox or if you watched with sound on or anything, but uh, <laughs> in between Columbus's first and second goal, they did that really stupid sideline interview with the head coach. And uh, all the ones that Fox has done this year has been, have been really bad. Like I remember the one that they did with Adrian Heath during the Western conference final. And he just was not interested in talking at all. But this one with Caleb Porter was maybe the most interesting bit of television that I've ever seen in my life because Caleb Porter said, uh, this is this is what we're going to do to score our next goal. And about 30 seconds later, they scored exactly like that. And uh, it hates I, I, I hate to do this and it like hurts the core of my soul, but um, and I've seen Caleb Porter manage a lot of soccer games over the years. And that was just one of the more impressive uh, managerial feats I've seen against the Sounders team in a very long time. <laughs> and I feel like I, as somebody who's been very critical of Caleb Porter, I think I just kind of need to say that. I don't know if either of you have any thoughts about that. I mean, I already gave him enough credit, but uh... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of impressive if you can go on TV and say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And then you watch as the team does exactly what you described, um, of, you know, maybe 10% of, uh, coaches, uh, mid game interviews are of use. And it was nice to have, uh, one of them, <laughs> um, in, in MLS cup be of use. So, like that's good for Fox. Um, yeah. Cause frankly, I, I don't remember a single. You know, I didn't watch every game of the playoffs, but I watched most of them. And uh, outside of Caleb's uh, in the final, I don't, I don't think anyone was of importance. Um, I have a, a one little nugget for Sounders fans and the importance of the regular season. I've shared this with all the Sounders heart staff already, but uh, MLS hasn't used a home field advantage for a majority. Well, now they are at a majority. 13 of the 12 games have had home field advantage. And um, the home team has only lost the cup final once. That was to <laughs> Caleb Porter's Portland team. And they've lost the trophy only twice because the other one was Seattle at Toronto. So when we think about how important the regular season is and, and whatnot, um, that's just a, a nice good reminder that making a run at the supporters' shield is important because having 70,000 people in CenturyLink field is better than traveling across the country uh, and playing in front of 1,500 people in Columbus. Um, right. Home field advantage might not be that significant in the pandemic, but um, the things like travel all, all exist. So hopefully in 2021, um, literally one more point from anything would have meant Columbus has to travel here and maybe waking up in your own beds and, and going. Well, I know, think, and, yeah. Um, even without fans, you just look at the Sounders goal data from the year and every time they played at home, 
significantly outscored their opponents in every minute of the game, um, mm-hmm. basically. And you look at the road data and that's a lot different. Um, so I think even without fans, just the comfort of not having to travel, like they've said, and knowing your field really well um, makes such a difference. The yeah. only thing I was going to add is that maybe perhaps if it wasn't 2020, I might feel a little bit um, differently about the game and um, how it ended, but it, it did give me flashbacks to the 2015 NWSL final where the <laughs> rain played perhaps their worst game of the year too, when th- that was really their championship to win. Um, so I, I thought of that a little bit and it made me a little sad. <laughs> the the major what ifs in yeah. Seattle soccer history. Uh, this, this will go up there with that one. Um, and that's the end of the 2020 season. And uh, we never have to talk about it again, if you don't Yay. want to, um, because MLS is relentless and it never stops um, about, about, I imagine that these decisions were, Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, yesterday on Monday, about two days after the final, the Sounders announced their uh, 2021 roster decisions. That includes uh, the Sounders declining the contract options on uh, Justin Dillon, Miguel Ibarra, Jovan Jones, additionally, uh, Stephen Cleveland, uh, Jimmy Morant, Madranda, Kelvin Leardam, Gustav Svensson, and Roman Torres are all out of contract, and the Sounders are doing their best to extend Jao Paulo's stay in Seattle, which probably includes actually having to purchase him because he was technically on loan in 2020, but um, more news of that will probably be expected later in this week, as well as yesterday, Monday, the uh, – Major League Soccer, soccer.com, MLSsoccer.com announced that um, sources are telling them that Nicholas Odero is signing a three-year contract extension to stay in Seattle. Uh, how, well, I guess we'll kind of start where the roster is at and then we'll kind of get a little Christmassy holiday uh, and kind of talk about what what we want from, from Santa Garth. But uh, yeah, like, I feel like that this roster is pretty good. <laughs> Do you guys agree with me? Yeah. I, I, I mean, all three of your best 11 players are back. Um, the, uh, you know, who continues to be amazing. Uh, you're still three deep at a uh, starting center back, which is pretty great uh, because Shane O'Neill was one of the options picked up, which makes sense that he was, significantly undervalued based on his performance uh and maybe in a normal year he's only your third center back rather than your number two but that's great having a third center back that can perform well has been key to the schmetzer era of the seattle sounders um overall like jao paulo let's just assume he's back i think those rumors make sense um you really are only down one starter despite the long list of Mm -hmm. cuts um and they've got a lot of money uh that they freed up from all of those cuts that's uh you know i don't think they're paying a lot for torres but kelvin and and gustav and joven um frees up significant cash uh the only ones that don't really free up cash are the backup keeper and stefan cleveland and justin dill who 
I think Dylan played a uh, 11 MLS minutes this year. So, um, yeah, that's, that's 11 more than I thought he did, but that's why I have you on the show to tell me about Justin Dillon. Um, Susie, I'll go to you on this one. I think, I think the two names that stick out that has been kind of the discussion among Sounders fans is, is Jovan Jones and Gustav Svensson who, um, probably aren't coming back. I mean, we'll see, but you know, Gustav Svensson has, uh, the 2020 euros happening in 2021 to think about, you know, maybe he wants to go to a European European based uh, club to get kind of more in the radar of the Swedish national team, which he's already kind of a fixture of that, but uh, maybe that's something he wants to focus on. And then like we mentioned, Jovan Jones disappointing 2020 that that wasn't just MLS cup, but um those are two players that have been kind of a fixture of the Sounders for the last three or four years. Um, how do you feel about them leaving and kind of what do you want to see um, from, from the Sounders in, in replacing those, those types of players? Well, I think um, so. I was such a huge Jovan Jones fan when he joined the team. He's, I have him on his name on one of my jerseys. Um, and I just think he's a much better left back than he is a um, wing player, um, more of an attacker for this team. Uh, I know he plays that role quite well for Trinidad and Tobago. Um, so I just think it's time to move on. And I think it makes all the sense to do it right now. He's There's a lot of options at left back with and with new who really solidifying that position this year um I just don't see a a point in keeping a player with that kind of budget on your roster um I I it's hard because I I know Gustav (laughs) Gustav's age um and like like you mentioned the Euros and I just think that having him as an option is super helpful and he brings um a skill set and like a, tr- like he allows the players in front of him to move around a lot more when he's just like, as he said, just cleaning up all the crap um, in that position. So I think he brings a lot of value, but I also understand like there's certain decisions you have to make to get younger or, um, you know, it, it allows you to make maybe some more in- intentional decisions about Christian Roldan's position too, um, um, that frees up all these other decisions on the roster. So not the end of the world but i would be sad if he didn't come back i was uh just thinking and i think we were all kind of a little bit surprised when he came back the last time because this was his second contract here in in seattle that and there was word that yeah he's going to go back to sweden he's just kind of done with this whole mls thing and then like two weeks later it's like and gustav svensson has been uh extended or resigned or whatever the the proper terminology was but at that at that time we were a little bit like whoa that's an unexpected benefit so at this point I really don't see think we're going to see him again um he's been on the club for several years now he's this is his fourth season yeah um he's done the cup run he's won he's lost he's you know um this was never supposed to be a significant part of his career. It was supposed to be a a stop for a little while. And instead what his trip to Seattle did was earn him a return to the Swedish national team, uh, earn him trophies, 
Um, and it was great. Got but, him out of a weird situation in China. Yeah. Like it, it was, uh, you know, I don't think that he ever came to this thinking it was going to be this good and he never thought it was going to be this long. Um, and so I, I kind of, I don't expect him to be back. I don't, I don't think this is a big decision by Garth and the leadership team. I just think this is dude spent more time here than he ever thought he would. Um, and he's just done. And that happens. Um, and I do like the idea of between the three of uh, Kelvin, Joven, and Gustav, if you can get one great player with that much money and then one rotational player, uh, you're probably a better peak level team than you are with the way those three had performed this year. Um, you know, if we go, if we scroll back three years, um, I think those three were extraordinary. I think then, you know, that's what earned Joven his, his trip to Germany and all that. But I think at this point, you can replace three dudes. I mean, I don't remember Joven's age off the top of my head, but I feel like he's been in the league forever at this point. Um, and he's only 28. Yeah. So you got a 28, 34, 32, something along those lines for 2021. Um, oh, just turned 29. I apologize. Yeah. So, you know, you're cutting the, the ability to, you know, look at Yamar, uh, Javier, Jao Paulo's age. Um, I expect what we'll get in the one or two pricey replacements for those three, one or two of them are going to be in that, that next wave that we've seen um, signed recently, because uh, if Nico's here for till he's 35, 36 and Raul's here into his uh, mid thirties as well, that's uh, you, you got to get younger somewhere and you're mm-hmm. not going to get younger in your best 11. So you might as well get younger in, in the guys that are uh, your second tier. Yeah, so I think that this kind of brings us into an interesting discussion. And uh, the way that I kind of want to frame it is, and I'm really excited that Dave is on to have this conversation um, because of how close he's worked with uh, Tacoma Defiance, is I think that the Sounders are at kind of an interesting crossroads. And uh, you could even say that they were at this crossroads last year, um, but they had this kind of pressure to win CONCACAF Champions League that obviously didn't pan out um, the way that they wanted to. And then 2020 became the year that it was. So there was a pandemic and all of that lovely stuff that had happened. Uh, Probably the reason why we're all on Zoom forever. (laughs) Um, But so the Sounders have realistically two starting positions to fill, um, maybe one. Um, depending on kind of your opinion of Alex Waldon at right back, they at least need to sign another right back. Um, whether you think that it's a starter or not, um, somebody to push Alex Waldon, or you don't think Alex Waldon is the starter, so you sign a starter. They need, uh, I, I think all three of us agree they probably need a right midfielder, and that that should be a um, the position that they kind of spend the big money on in the offseason. Um, something that Garth Lagerway has done traditionally is, uh, in 2019, the Sounders had the most Tam players in the league. Uh, but they, they just had two big DPs and they kind of spread out the money across, 
across the uh, across the roster. But I think the crossroads that they're at, and I think where you see that where this league is going, uh, I think Columbus is a great example. Is is you kind of see a a shift back to having your big DPS, and then your role players are coming through your academy, or, or kind of like are more mid mid tier on the roster salary. So Dave, I kind of want to, um, I kind of want to bring you in on this and then kind of see where this conversation goes. But, uh, the first team roster in terms of homegrown products and defiance products, it has Joss Atencio, Ethan, uh, Dobelair, Shannon, uh, Shandon Hopiao, uh, Alfonso Ocampo Chavez and, um, Trey Muse. If you, if you, um, want to include him as a goalkeeper, although I don't think Stefan Fry is going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, how do you see those defiance players or maybe even some other defiance players that aren't on my radar kind of stepping up in 2021? And would you, how would you kind of keep the pathway open for them while also making sure this roster is good enough to, to uh, compete for a supporter shield and an MLS cup? I, I think, I just want to reemphasize what I had said in comments regularly through the kind of second half of, of 2020 is when your team's up two goals, uh, you need to see those young guys a lot more. Um, I think with the changes that we've seen, uh, we'll probably see more Brad Smith at left back when he's fully healthy. So um, if you look at the way the attacking band is, uh, with Jordan, Nico, um, Tam, player, um, and then after that, the could attacking even, could even be a DP depending on the Jao Paulo situation. Yeah. So, but that means your attacking band is really going to be young or a new guy that you sign because you don't have Harry Ship, uh, you don't have Jimmy Madronda, you don't have Jovan Jones. So maybe you sign one dude to slip in there. But I think that's uh, really the opportunity for Shannon Hopiao, Ethan Doubleair, uh, Ocampo Chavez. And uh, if we're gonna dip down into Tacoma Defiance, I think that's probably gonna be um, Ray Serrano who had uh, the strongest year down there as kind of the, the winger talent. Um, but I don't wanna, so much development time was uh, impacted uh, in mm-hmm. more ways than MLS time um, for, for those guys. So I don't want to overcommit. Like Ezreal Gonzalez had a great 2019. Um, so he might pop up. I think you might see Danny Robles be the guy who can be the most Christian Roldan like. Um, and then I, uh, I think the organization's next uh, Danny Leva project is probably Reed Baker Whitting or Whiting. Um, because uh, you know he was the one that went to MLS Cup as yeah. the extra body. He had been um, training with the first team kind of for the last two months of the regular season, and then throughout the postseason. So they clear, they clearly think very highly of him. Yeah, so we're going to see a lot of Danny Leva uh, when he's healthy, um, inshallah. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Serrano, Robles, maybe Gonzalez, um, and Reed. RBW will be the the ones that can make the most significant impact because to be honest, after uh, six defiance players in two years coming up, but obviously only deep fringe, you know, 
squad talents. Um, you know, at, at the same point, when you look at the uh, the youth of Columbus crew, um, Nuhu Tolo, Nuhu, sorry, I'm looking at a, uh, a reference guide that still has his, uh, still says Tolo there. So, um, but Nuhu's only 22 and Alex Roldan's only 23. Um, and I would put them up against um, the young, um, the youngsters for crew, um, Luke Arcaida um, and Luis Diaz, as well as Milton Valenzuela. They're all 19, 21, 21. Um, and yeah, they and got one of those good. players is a DP. Yeah. So it's not really the, their internal development, but, uh, you know, Alex Roldan, I said it last time, I'll say it again, started the March 11th game. That was the end of sports for a long time um, at right back. That was supposed to, he was supposed to be with defiance most of the year developing. Instead, he developed in the playoffs and became a more than serviceable, maybe not great, but a more than serviceable right back. Uh, Nuhu and Jordi Delen, uh were signed to define uh, S2 contracts yeah. and earned their way through the program. So um, I think what you'll continue seeing is one or two players that are significant that come through um, with Danny Leva probably being the one that was supposed to be significant before injury cost him the year. And then you're just not going to see like maybe, uh, you know, a draft pick every couple of years is significant, but the rest of the bench is, you know, the, that kind of, doesn't make the game day roster when it's only an 18 again, um, but is still on the roster. That's just all going to be uh, Academy and defiance talents. Um, that's what we've seen for two years now. And it's only going to go deeper that way. Um, essentially every supplemental and reserve roster spot will be somebody who uh, calls Tacoma their primary um, playing spot. That's really interesting. Um, we talked about maybe Gustav's staying with the team longer than expected. And I think the, the downside you have when you build, build a club culture where people want to stick around is that sometimes when you have teams that are really successful and everyone just keeps coming back and there's that consistency that it means not as many people have, you know, opportunities to break in. So I'm excited to see potentially all the stuff they've mentioned for 2021 um, I think it's really interesting too, just to reflect on Roldan's career so far for the Sounders in that first season, having to sort of like grind out some and learn a ton playing on the wing where he wasn't really comfortable, um, but, but what it's done for his career and would just love to see some of the young players get those kinds of opportunities. At the same point, I, I think that there is a fascination with the next great thing in American soccer. And um the Sounders have done a really good job of not getting younger just for the sake of getting younger. Uh, they want to get better because the point isn't to have the youngest age. Like every year they're in a top five oldest and every year is, well, they've got to get younger. And frankly, um, I mean, I'm the defiance broadcaster. I've worked for the team. Um, and uh, that's not the point of the Seattle Sounders. They don't need to get younger. They need to keep hanging banners. Yeah. Um, Keep going to MLS Cup. Challenge for the Supporters Shield. Uh, who really, like, who? Dallas was younger. Who cares? Like, great. They sold a bunch of talent, and each of their uh, season ticket holders made $27. Does that matter? Like, 
would $27 in my pocket and a team that's never won ML MLS cup matter to me? I don't, I don't care. And it's, 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 it's the beginning of the beginning of the week. I think I actually have a couple of Dallas uh, fans that are pretty good Sorry. friends of mine. That's okay. Um, and they, and they kind of, you know, for, for a few years there, the, the train of kind of being the best Academy in MLS and producing all these young stars that are going overseas. It was fun for a while. And now they're asking, okay, what's the team doing with it? Because they sold Reggie Cannon over the summer. They have another good right back in Brian Reynolds, who is being linked with AC Milan and, uh, you know, Juventus and stuff like that. And they're like, Oh, great. Okay. So he's played 15 games for us and he's going to leave again. You know, Chris Richards came through their academy, but left before even playing a first team minute. And now he's playing for Bayern Munich. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. We have these guys overseas that we can kind of loosely be connected with, but um, I think that they would like to support a winning team more than anything else. Um, <laughs> just like us Sounders fans. And thankfully we do support a winning team. And, and, and to kind of close out that point about, kind of giving these these young guys a chance, it's important to point out that players on these homegrown contracts do not count towards the roster, do not count towards the salary cap. And that's something that Garth Lagerway always talks about is, you know, filling out your rosters with with these younger players gives you the opportunity to sign the Nicholas Ladero and the Raul Ruiz Diaz, the Jao Paulo. It gives you the opportunity to give TAM contracts to Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan, who were a homegrown player and draft pick. Uh, respectively so to kind of finish out this 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 show i want to i want to let uh i'm going to start with Susie, and then i'll kind of see where the conversation goes but i kind of want to i kind of want to let you go christmas shopping for um if you have a certain player in mind that's great you should probably text it to garth and see if he can get that done but um i think you probably are, are going to talk more about like what kind of players and what kind of what type of positions you would like filled over this holiday season as we go into kind of the world of Jan the January transfer window. Yeah. Um, I think that we've talked about it a little bit before, but would like more depth in um, especially starting quality depth on in the attacking wing positions. Um, so I think that's where my wish list would be, would start. Uh, I don't, I don't have a, a, a player who's probably reasonable to suggest there um, at this point, but I think there's a lot of players that fit that mold. I mean, obviously what Schmetzer liked in Joven is that he provided possession and a technical skill set on the wing to balance like what Jordan and other players brought with being able to play in transition, speed, direct play. Um, so I think a player that sort of fits that mold, but is better for the team would be interesting to look at. And I like I like I mentioned before, I think we're all kind of in agreement on this podcast that we would like to see a significant portion of whatever the offseason budget is invested in that right wing position, sort of similar to when the team had Victor Rodriguez, yeah. although um, his time in Seattle was unfortunate because of injuries and kind of never being able to kind of put together a, a run. Um in terms of filling out the depth in the rest of the roster, Dave, is there, 
are are you comfortable with kind of going into the offs going into 2020 with Alex Rodon being the starter or would you kind of bring in somebody within the league to kind of push him at the right back position or maybe maybe it's an overseas transfer as well yeah I, I wouldn't mind a, a new right back in somewhere probably around that 200k kind of area I I don't think the org can go into 2021 with the only right backs being Alex and Anthony Berkey uh, down in Tacoma Defiance. That seems um, highly unusable for Garth. He would not. <laughs> um, he would not count on on two guys who converted from number ten to right back within the past two years to be his only right backs within the thirty five or so that are on the the combined rosters. Um, so I expect to get some kind of seasoned veteran there uh, to challenge. Um, I want to go a little bit of shopping on the uh, MLS free agency or re-entry draft, uh, particularly with the loss of Goose. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a great, great opportunity to, um, well, to bring a guy back. And in this case, I want Andy Rose to be that uh, kind of Gustav Svensson replacement. Yeah. But only because you also have Danny Leva. Um, so if you have Andy Rose as your fourth center back and fourth um, defensive mid, or fifth uh, defensive mid. Uh, if you're keeping Jordy Delem. Oh yeah, Jordy. Well, he, yeah. <laughs> one of them is going to be fourth, and the other one's going to be fifth. Yeah, I think Andy's able to beat out Jordy, but not maybe not by much. But if that's your, you know, if that's an internal hire, that's fine. Um, and I think you probably get somebody like that from within the league uh, at right back. I don't know that you need to, unless they do something wild like find a way to get DeAndre as a mid-level Tam guy somehow. Um, Yeah. While also adding a high Tam or low DP value at right mid. Um, I expect, uh, I expect the right back to just be um, not a Kelvin level talent, but some, somebody added who has been good in the past and might be a game. Uh, to challenge Alex there. Uh, kind of like Waylon, the reason Waylon Francis was brought in. Um, didn't work, but yeah, that, right. that was the thought. He, he, he'd been good for a while. Let's uh, let's uh, see what he can do to to challenge Nuhu. And then Nuhu was like, <laughs> suckers. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So are, are either of you wanting, I, I think kind of the last question, the big, the big question about sort of the holes on this roster before I kind of have a last, last question is uh, are we okay with what the team has at center backs or do either of you want to bring in somebody that's better than Shane O'Neill, whatever you think of Shane O'Neill's ability, but kind of in between Shane and Ariaga. No. Dave might be able to answer this question a little bit better than me, but I feel like we have like young talent within the squad already that, can can serve as that sort of fourth option. I'm super comfortable with Yamar and Javi and O'Neill as the backup um, and would love like that fourth option of someone young that we feel like we can invest in their future. Yeah, I like, I've been critical of Ariaga on this podcast and the pages of Sounder at Heart but I've also uh, been the first to give him credit. And I think it's 
it's unfortunate that he's been here almost two years. The team's made two MLS cups and he hasn't started in either of them. Uh, but those are kind like both for circumstances out of his control. And I think that to kind of harken back on a few episodes ago, and I think Susie, you were on the show, the way that this team has kind of evolved in 2020 in terms, in terms of a style of play, I think really suits Ariaga. And I would expect Garth to give him at least until the summer of 2021 to kind of cement that position before trying to address bringing in potentially a better center back. And I think that that's the only way I'd want to see this team approach the center back position is if, um, if they could get somebody better than Ariaga and then Ariaga becomes the third choice. Um, I don't think that that's a very good use of resources at this point, given the, the kind of the glaring holes on the right side of the field at this point, because I don't want to see Christian play right mid again. Um, but I think that that's something to keep in mind. Um, I think the last, the last question that we have to sort out is uh, what do we do for a number two goalkeeper, Dave? Is Trey Muse going to be number two or are they going to bring in somebody else? Like Brian Meredith maybe comes back. <laughs> Brian Meredith becomes the new Lamar Nagel. Um, <laughs> frankly, that, that would make a lot of sense. Um, I don't think they wanted to lose Meredith. Uh, I don't, you know, I think the they really wanted Trey Muse to get 25 plus starts this year. And then the weird, um, differentiation between the bubbles meant that he couldn't um, yeah and he also uh, suffered some concussion problems yeah um that even kept him out of training so yeah so we lost uh you know i think trey muse and danny leva were the two prospects that that lost um the most significant amount of time um i mean trey's only 20 so i'm not ready to give him a the backup role but at the same point uh, with Steph, uh, the backup role isn't that important. It's somebody who plays two games a year. Um, <laughs> well, unless we want to do an open cup run. Even then, I think it yeah. was just the first two games. Um, so uh, I'm not going to worry about it. It's going to be a Brian Meredith level talent, um, quite possibly Brian Meredith. So, um, and if you can get get him, great. Um, have that guy be the backup for Tacoma and have Trey Muse be the starter for Tacoma um, and he'll be great. I really want it to be Brian Meredith specifically because he's just, uh, when things are inevitably not going well, he's a really great quote. And I love that selfishly for the business that I'm in. <laughs> Bring some good style game to the team too. Yeah. And he's just a really fun guy. Um, and yeah, maybe he likes, being in Canada. I know I certainly would be right now, but I don't think you really, well, I don't think you got to enjoy that. Cause I believe, um, well, it was Vancouver. So you got to be in Portland a lot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I already forgotten about that for the 2020 season. Um, but I know we're running a little bit long here, but I wanted to thank, uh, Dave Clark and Susie Rance for, uh, joining me on this, on our first post episode post MLS cup episode of Saturday heart podcast. Uh, thank you both. I'm Mark Kastner and we'll see you next time.